Last week, my wife and I hosted a get-together with family. They were in town for a wedding ceremony, and we wanted to throw them a small shindig as we hadn't seen one another in quite some time. Not long after, she and I went out of town to celebrate my mother's birthday. All in all, it's been an awesome weekend jam-packed with excitement. Three years ago, I would have been very stressed out, ready to just be alone and recharge my batteries after hosting the party, let alone have the mental capacity to then go to the party of my mother, which we were also playing a large part in preparing. And so today, with this being the third episode of the Locksmith Podcast, I want to relay some personal experiences, provide some backstory and perspective regarding my story. What better way to ground this podcasting trifecta than to reveal the inspirations and driving forces by which my passion is engaged? So, without further ado, I'm Jay Castle, and this is the Origin of the Locksmith Podcast. The story begins with my birth in Germany, as my father was in military overseas. Not much to report outside of moving to the States and many times moving in and out of States. I jumped schools a lot due to my father's work. I suppose it could be said clinically. My passion stems from an inability in childhood to form meaningful relationships with others. As such, providing a definition of intent to my character as the beloved seeker. Although, in that regard, aren't we all? In any case, in every scholastic situation, I found myself suffering from an acute awareness that I was unlike the others. My poor grades were the explicit manifestation of such, which caused my parents to worry for my development. So they had me tested, revealing that I wasn't mentally stunted, I was gifted, but lazy. <laughs> well, there goes my secret. I remember the look on the examiner's face after she asked, what is the opposite of enough? I told her funny. She was taken aback and visibly confused, asking, what do you mean? And so I sounded it out for her. e na f f a ni <laughs> Of course, my parents only ever revealed the context of this situation well after school. No matter, I was still aware of a difference during. A difference in interests. The new kid effect. Whatever it truly was, the subtle affect of being an enthusiastic outsider began to show its influence. As such, I learned silence. To keep my peace. Finding solace within myself, although this awareness soon caused a rift to form during the development of my perspective as the untended question, why don't I fit in, festered into the negative valuation of insecurity to suggest I must not be good enough. Although it took years to afford the capacity of expression to consciously dismantle the invalid thought forms brought about by insecurity, punctuating my journey was the recontextualization of value, perspective, and life. I can now express gratitude for the experience which culminated in existential isolation as it provided the depth of love to be received in the presence of all that is before me. On July 6th, 2018, I returned home from Fort Knox where I had an experience unlike any prior to now. I had just achieved a weight loss of 100 pounds and wanted to see what I could do which led me to basic camp, an officer training lasting a month while in ROTC with my college. It wasn't something I was particularly interested in. I wanted to test myself, follow the footsteps of my father, and live up to an expectation I had for what might gain approval, as if I had to earn his love in some respect. 
projecting my own insecurity onto him. However, during that month, even though I could perform and keep up, I truly became aware of the fact that I did not share similar interests as others in my platoon. It was not for me, and I soon learned that as I retreated deeper into the recesses of my mind for the next month with no one to relate with in a hyper-competitive environment, my mind was abandoning my body. I fell into a very sour state, returned on the 6th, and began taking out my frustrations on any and all, pushing away everything and everyone for the next year as I fell into depression and substance abuse to stop the pain to run from weakness, a coward in sickly vice, longing to be still. Essentially craving the misery of isolation and abandoning responsibility for life as justification for the venom I freely spewed, lashing out. I was having a tantrum. Which is what led me to where I was, as I soon learned from synthesizing the teachings of Jordan Peterson and Carl Jung and many others, where I then dove into an obsession with mythology and spirituality, I was working so hard to understand how it was I ended up here. From symbolism to signs to learn it was my own fault and that I was making it worse by avoiding responsibility, which opened me up to writing. Funny enough, my first attempted expression to articulate myself after keeping to myself for so long was the wooden serpent. It's an interesting thing, these wooden serpents we create, to fashion chaos from life which we incriminate. They're sold as toys for children, suspended by the tail, writhing in response to touch, always without fail. These false predators lay, biding their time, motionless like a cancer, seemingly benign. But I see you, you monsters. You cannot hide from me. The nature of your being, your purpose, everything I see. From human hands does your parentage reveal destructive tendencies offering nothing but to steal. But these impulses, these desires, these are nothing of your own. For when left alone, ignored through time, you turn but into stone. Oh, wooden serpent, you mustn't misconstrue. As for all the words which could be said, I still pity you. It's an interesting thing to hold concern for a snake, to care for a creature whose motives are opaque. But with all that you are in what you do, you writhe in pain complete. For without the touch of human hands, your plans you cannot meet. I wrote this poem in a journal I had bought shortly after coming out of my stupor. I didn't have the faintest idea why it was I christened the first page of this journal with a Tory gate, or why I decided to write a poem. I was enrolled in general business. I wasn't enrolled as a creative writing major or student of the arts, but I didn't question it. I simply expressed myself and it felt good. Writing down a poem about those little wooden snakes made from links of wood, the kind you can buy at a carnival or a dollar store, written down on a whim. Eight short days later, I attempted active imagination an experiment in which you enter into a meditative state and interact with the subconscious in allowing imaginative processes to flow. I named this first trial the Tower. As I enter this place, I am greeted by a lush green grasscape. In this field of life, I see a tower which has no top. It is both missing and immeasurable, depending on perception. As I move closer, I see the material is vague and the color is indiscernible. Circling the tower, I notice there is no entrance. The only feature I can identify is a hand-sized rune bearing this design, 
which I scribbled onto the paper. It, it, it's an equilateral triangle with a circle inscribed within. Upon each edge where the circle meets the middle of the triangle's line, there's a line extending toward the center of the circle, three of them in total, which converge near the center of the circle to form a smaller circle within. It was etched into the back of the tower, and as I ran my hand over it, feeling the grooves, a soft voice commanding power spoke while simultaneously touching my shoulder from behind. Here, I scribbled three consecutively looping lines in an attempt to express I didn't know what it said, but it was like a thunderous burst of wind, startling me, but also comforting and warm. Startled, I turned quickly, attempting to fix my gaze. I soon realized I was unable to understand what I saw. A gray, smoky, fluctuating amalgamous homunculi, this as well as I know. I asked what it had said, and it responded by ephemerally dissipating. Once it had ceased, I began yelling out, How do I enter this tower? Why is no one around to teach me? Then, suddenly, I acknowledged the fact I wasn't alone. It's as if I remembered that my soul existed within me as well. Closing my eyes, I spoke without words. Please, soul, come to me. Speak to me. Tell me how I enter this tower. As my eyes opened, I saw a fair-skinned, beautiful, soft blonde woman clad in raiment's pure as snow. She looked at me, gaze fixed on my eyes. She was me. I knew in that moment. This is the abandoned soul I had forgotten. Softly watching one another, I spoke out, What is this? Why had I forgotten you? Why does this tower stand immeasurable without a door? What was that which I could not understand? And why was the rune that which prompted it? The woman, unmoving, simply stared. Then, before fading away, she shed a tear and opened her mouth. As her countenance drifted, so too her and everything around us. No field, no tower, no light, nothingness, all around. As I began to attempt an understanding of what just happened, a small satyr appeared before me, standing around four foot six. The small goatish man had tightly curled gray hair with two large black ram's horns sprouting out from the decadent cascade. His body, vague, began moving towards me as he adorned a sly look. I asked him, for what purpose are you showing yourself? What sort of answer are you to the questions I ask? Continuing his approach without answering my question, I began postulating. You are what keeps me from entering the tower? The satyr did nothing aside from continue his advance. You are my lust. At that, the satyr froze. An ecstatic expression appeared on his face, and the ram's horns, which curled around backward, began straightening out upward. Moving around almost with a childlike glee, the satyr looked at me, and everything came to an end. Now what the heck was that supposed to mean? <laughs> I didn't really know then, but looking back now it seems to suggest quite a poignant truth, which would be soon confronted in a dreamlike state as I awoke from the mother of all nightmares just two days later. This journal entry is titled Beyond Eden. On the morning of July 18th, 2019, it was decided I shake away the dust of Eden. A sight revealed to me, hellish and ideal, a mechanical comprehension of metaphysical, transparent to reason of the children of strife. Those who give Dionysian flesh for this understanding alone. I offer this in sorrow, in truth, 
and in honesty. For whosoever lap this falls upon, God have mercy on your soul. Potential as such only occurs within in existence. Thus, awareness denies the privilege of potentiality certain. Heroes are those born of gods, chosen by acknowledging opportunity within responsibility abdicated, successful by means of perceptibility and wisdom, tied as one with strength and grace. Standing upon the shoulders of forebearers, mortal or divine, sacrificing to that which beckons the soul. For to ignore such a calling is worse than death, as even that has purpose to renew life. As one increases conscious ability, so too does malevolence increase its affect towards cessation. For so far as one is aware, one threatens the existence of chaos, for the nature of inquisition strips away at the many layers of infinitude. Understood as God by many, nature by others, this divine purpose or catalyzing motif which propels meaning from inexistence, being from meaningless, provides one certainty. As one lives implicitly, one chooses to die entropically. And so far as one lives explicitly, one chooses to die meaningfully. In life there exists no situation void of sacrifice, only the obscure chance to consciously decide what is to be sacrificed. <laughs> Goodness gracious, certainly a fan of dramatic performance at this stage of life. <laughs> Anyways, part one, the darkness. Terror, panic, everything is dark. Adjusting my vision, hazily unfocused, I spot a table directly in front of me. On my person, items lay secured. I have no understanding of their purpose or function, only that they are. Fear, flushing my thoughts away as my eyes further adjust to the darkness and beyond. The wingless potential of death and chaos stands in the doorway ahead. Crouching, I slink into the shadows beneath the table. Peering out, pitch black, darker than the surrounding, it searches with the grace of a slithering feline. Intentional with every step, this armored brute comes closer into focus. Soon I see it clear, and all it possesses as means to an end. Black eyes pierce the night, its slender frame accentuating the fluidity of its movements. Long black body supporting long black arms with daggers of obsidian fixed at the end, lusting for flesh. With precision, it peers into the veil, seeing all that can be. Awareness drifting closer, purposefully near me. Sensing and aware of my presence, this being of malice, contempt, a seeker to an end of deference. Slowly and methodical, its approach has begun. Long black stilts usher the creature has come. At the base of its spine sprouts a sword of fluid wrath, piercing wretched souls who have fallen in its path. It's everything at once. It is an all-consuming pain. This morbid curiosity steals the focus of my brain. Beckoning my spirit, it is all I can see. The blackness fills my vision and the room surrounding me. Circling nearer now, claws ready and mouth agape, I shake with little option knowing I've naught but to escape. Backing up, I turn, then greeting my demise. My soul burns deep, what ravenous evil eyes. Terror, panic, everything is dark. In my vision, I see evil waiting to play its part. But this sight is a sense. It's nothing I can prove, though without hesitation, I trust and begin to make my move. 
Avoiding the door, I focus, turning to my rear. Above me, something stirs. I know it's more than fear. From the rafters, it descends, quietly, approach. Predation and hunger, suppressor of its approach. Aware of my notice, with a silent shot in the dark, black tail, wrath abounding, running straight through my heart. Terror, panic, everything is dark. My senses scream out, tearing me apart. My vision, my weakness, all I am is undone. The sharp pangs in my chest reminding me to run. Before the trouble, before the chaos, before the black eyes my soul they bore. Across the distance and towards the light, my hope lay just beyond the door. I must stand, I must move, my fragile being quivers at the thought. Run past this evil, out from this darkness, else destruction, it's sure to rot. Bursting through the doors, my escape signals well done. As I run without hesitation, my ears pick up the sound of buzzing fluorescent tubes, which are paired with an unnatural white light, casting the sensation of an uncanny peace, a deserved but false break in the darkness. As I make my strides across the cold pale tiles, I begin to understand more of this area I'm striving to escape. Reminiscent of generic halls of a generic school, nasty white paint bubbling upon hard, unforgiving cinder blocks, walling my prison. Understanding clicks into place. This was my prison. I digress, nothing more than the terrors which are sure to make their way closer as I distract myself with unnecessary focus. Shifting my attention to matters more urgent, I notice the heavy wooden doors capping the end of the hall. The only way forward and the only doors ahead. Trusting they hold more hope than those I escaped, decidedly I push on to discover what was behind them as well. Part 2. Canticum Ex Mortis I enter in unnoticed and disregarded. Nothing more than one could ever hope for, having been the focus of attention to malice. My ears, which should be well-versed in comprehending musical progression, struggle to understand the sounds I hear. I cannot even be sure as to say it was music. My eyes, accustomed to the false light, struggle to adjust in this new darkness. Though, unlike before, I'm able to quickly acclimate and see into my new environment. It is a concert of sorts. And like the lights which filled my eyes before, the sounds which fill my ears now are fake and ring with an uncanny and disorganized musical tone. A black, hydrophobic sheet of canvas covers the wooden floor, standing upon that children jumping and cheering at the edges of this consort stage. Upon it, nothing sincere, nothing organic. Instruments stand without those to play, microphones mint with sounds of silence leaving nothing to be heard. Chords connected to nothing run along the floor and up the walls to speakers which scream out nonsense. Surely, this is the mousetrap for the ignorant children of this prison. I fear it is they who will be used to paint these floors by the abominations which pursue me now. As I view this sight of unawareness all around, the growl of death certain now becomes the only sound. Claws piercing tile, a legion lurking near, across the waves of children, a door is blocked by fear. Could more be coming? I hide by the door. Slinking in the corner, I fall upon the floor. Looking out from my window, this pain reflecting back. There's nothing I can do now but await the coming attack. Pouring in from my past, descending down from above, these forms dark eternal began feasting thereof. The chaos ensued with splatters and screams, shielding my eyes, conscience, 
tearing at the seams. Children cry out, sounds of anguish and terror, antithetical absolution, this voice of hell their declarer. This blood-stained concerto, unveiled without disguise, a deep red socket readily filled with little white lies. Could this progression be the answer to sins of my past? Questioning life's purpose, welcoming death, finally, at last. An amalgam of terror, grief, and mourning, the sour smell of death, evil omens warning. This galactic stone of heartache forcibly lodged within my throat, an explosive burn of tears like torpedoes to a boat. Taking stock of my options, I need to run and hide. An idea, though thoughtless, the stage's underside. Quickly hiding from these monsters and the pain that I foresee, closing my ears and heart to knowing it's no hyperbole. Muffled madness in my head, then children falling silent. Will I succumb to this evil, this terror most violent? Feeling a wet, warm liquid soon covering my back, little legs and little hands begging, please help us attack. What an insane notion, decidedly I cower. Suddenly pierced through, black vines on a bower. Hopeless choked breath, quenching the fire in my lungs, this sensation of death not meant to taste by mortal tongues. I could never hide in the shadows, not from the senses of this beast. Slowly looking to my left, my metal now increased. I began to open the door, which I so terribly feared. In comparison to this evil, indecisiveness disappeared. A blinding white light, and my senses ring true. Escaping post-haste, I promptly withdrew. Part 3. The Boy with Fiery Steps Laid out before me, the endless hallway from my past filled still with an uncanny sense of peace. Instead of pondering endlessly the hopeless place I escaped, I allow this peace to soothe while preparing my next movement with intent. Unfortunately, this hallway is all but perfectly safe. Children flow from the classrooms, running straight at me. Their faces are pained and scared and tired. I brace myself for their advance and feel the wind from their passing. Running now past me to the gymnasium, I'm gripped by sadness, guilt, and pity. They don't know what things they're running towards. Suddenly, it hits me. I don't know what they're running from. They beat on the doors, unable to open, as a small boy with red hair steps out of a room near the end, furiously crying. This boy begins to run, and with every step of his foot, fire bursts from the floor. It isn't clear how or why, and seems randomly chosen. These flames chase up without no rhyme or reason. They're running from him, the boy with random fiery steps. The doors from behind slowly open, and evil begins to attack. After that, I never finished writing, as I soon began to seek out order in my own life, and not only in symbols. For continuity's sake, the children banging on the door are swarmed, and I grab up the boy with red hair and pull him into a classroom. Peeking around the corner, I see the beast in the fake light more clearly. Previously in the darkness, it resembled... Ridley's xenomorph, but now it was like a festering insect of deformed proportions. Luring it near the classroom, I smashed its head in the heavy door. The boy with red hair hides behind a desk, and I'm faced with two of the devils, one inside and one outside, 
Using the tools from before, I notice I have a hook shot. Avoiding the inner devil, I move toward a window and see something of a future sight, glass breaking inwardly. As I lower myself slightly, the outer demon breaks through, smashing into the inner demon, and I escape through the window, falling into a bush. It is here I meet a rugged man wearing a brown leather jacket, and I notice that I am a woman. There's a rumbling in the school, and the man and I hop onto an old three-wheeled motorcycle when a giant beast bursts out of the school and begins chasing us down the road. We are racing down the street, avoiding rusty old cars and our rusty old trike, heading toward a warehouse when the beast catches up to us. And I wake up back in the bushes, those I fell from out of the window. Aware of the beast, I urge the man to ready the bike while I use lengths of wire to connect all the old rusty vehicles. The beast breaks out, we jump on the trike, and this time, the giant beast is slowed down by the trailing of rusty old cars cannot keep up with us. Upon entering the warehouse, we meet a dark-skinned man in a safety vest behind a chain-link fence. He speaks to me, the first voice not my own, through mental telepathy. He says he will prepare the staging, but that we need to distract the beast to give him time. Looking past him, I see a beautiful, pearly-white, futuristic trike on a stage facing me. At that, a medium-sized beast enters into the warehouse, knocking out the lights. The rugged man works to help me, but I tell him to prepare the trike. The man in the safety vest works with him on the staging. Slowly, I see the trike begin to turn away from me as the stage rotates. Using my flashlight to get the beast's attention, I run upon the scaffolding, hiding, waiting for it to come near, clicking my light, attracting its attention. It walks past me as I chuck the flashlight away. The beast chases it and I run toward the trike. The rugged man and I board the three-wheeled motorcycle and I call out to the man in the safety vest, motioning for him to join us. He dons a loving smile and shakes his head, saying he has to operate the tunnel. And with that, the beast bursts through the chain link fence and the man in the safety vest sends us on our way. And this tunnel is being constructed as we move forward simultaneously every step we take every every rotation of the tire rather the mechanism is forming the tunnel while the beast behind us tears through the construction ensuring the only way is forward as the man and i burst out of the mountain into a fiery cityscape the radio tunes into a man speaking about infanticide then i wake up covered in sweat much could be said on this, but that's a story for another day. Ultimately, it was but a step leading to 10 days later, where the night before I finally reconciled death, woke up refreshed and left my house for Dunkin' Donuts to do my final investigative writing. If you believe to be the master of your soul, then become her servant. If you believe to be the servant, master her. These should be your first steps. C.G. Jung what is existence as loneliness? It is drowning in ice which burns the body. It is eyes full of visions internal, unable to look outward. It is conscious in existence. Could this organic paradox be the fruit which offers to sacrifice not itself, but those unfortunate few who hunger so deeply for sustenance? And from what ravenous tree does this self-germinating fruit fall from? 
For what gardens has my soul been pouring freely into? To what end does this portentous omen allude? Could it be the results of stolen love? Betrayal of brothers for better left as worse? I do not seek to deflect responsibility onto my tormentors, for it was my own volition to offer myself willingly. I seek to use this paradoxical understanding as I comprehend correlation of such extremes. Perhaps it can reveal to me the inadequacies of my competence which have led me to where I am. Cleverness can conquer the world, but simple-mindedness conquers the self. C.G. Jung How vain is he who seeks misfortune to actively search for disadvantage and for what? Chances to overcome strife? If only for reasons of selflessness. That is not I, yet I do not believe it is for justification. Child born of chaos control, to what end do you ponderously torture yourself so contemptuously? There are others who seek out weakness to rule. If you live unwillingly like this, why not seek to willingly choose? Could the answer be that I in fact do not seek misfortune for selfless ends, nor for justification? And if that is the case, then am I simply so incompetent as to live my life, pouring my soul into gardens which offer nothing in return? This is more likely than any thus far. With that, I began reconciling my past, beginning with as far as I can remember and going as far as I can remember. In summation, I work to integrate and individuate, engaging within prior arrangements, building new relationships, and forging an understanding of meaning and valuation within the greater system dynamics. The depression and suffering of beingless coated in vitriol began to dissolve as the alchemical affect forged in interacting with life created an awareness of this implicit relationship felt beyond the moment. I began healing. And so, my passion is funneled in synthesizing the express implication offered in explicit manifestation in all that we do. My reason for engaging in this particular pursuit while due to an appreciation for relationships is kind of hard to express, like a child engaging in play, it isn't necessarily the case that I believe I'm creating relationships, more that they are simply being discovered within the implicit inheritance of creation. With every relationship discovered comes the fun of play between you and I. To put it simply, I love creating relationships because I love you. The exhilarating connections created between you and I, the meaningful significance between two concepts, known and unknown, the subtle complexity of stories, simplifying the process of understanding, providing the very essence of love residency in depth. The very point at which the needle of a compass lay, the you of all that is, sharing mutual attraction, provocative invocation, parlay ad infinitum. As it is you, eternally chased in substance, an expression of ignorance to love in essence. Not love as such, nor the feeling it provides, but that which you are, as providence to potential in love, in expression. The Eve of I Am. Saturating the effluence of conscious insignificance, beginning the awakening of the sleeping conscious expression, an intuitive solution simplifying unconscious mechanisms, identifying the diamonds in the sea and pearls in the garden. 
such is the value and understanding with regard to whom it may concern what ought and ought not occur. Intuition, such a simple expression to describe such a complex manifestation of unknown knowing, devoid of context. The very tool employed in wisdom, an unreasonable implication to the very act of understanding. Where does the locksmith find its origin? Everywhere. 